Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. Your host, Nisi Edwards, is founder of the Fibro Patient Education and Support Organization, and she's here to offer help and hope to the millions of individuals who suffer from chronic pain. Now, here's Nisi Edwards. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards, and on today's show... We have Kyle Davies, a psychologist and author. Kyle Davies is a coach, author, and trainer. He teaches people how to optimize their well-being, attain clarity of mind, and perform more effectively at work, home, and in life. Kyle originally qualified as a chartered occupational psychologist and is the creator of Energy Flow Coaching. Kyle began his career management consulting before moving into healthcare. Along with colleagues, he pioneered a new approach for treating chronic fatigue and pain, anxiety, depression, and other stress-related symptoms, which is reflected in the recently published book, The Intelligent Body. I'm so pleased that Kyle is on today's show. Uh, I've purchased the book. It's a very exciting book, and uh, let's get started. Welcome, Kyle, to the Pain-Free Zone. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. I'm glad that you're here. You know, your book, um, it was very thought-provoking, The Intelligent Body, Reversing Chronic Fatigue and Pain from the Inside Out. One of the things, Kyle, that stood out for me uh, in the book, I have not completed reading it in its entirety, Um but based upon what I've read thus far, I will tell you that you will need to come back again because I have <laughs> lots of questions for you regarding this book. Um, I know that in the beginning of the book, uh, it talks about a study, I do believe, that was conducted of, of a group of men. Yes. Okay. Can you tell us a, about that study? So this work was done, uh, I think I think it was back in the 70s. And you're really testing me now by, by getting me to, <laughs> to, to recall the details. So essentially what happened was that these men were, they were, they were uh, older men in their, in their seventies and eighties. And they were, I guess they were picked for the research because they were, they were coddled, if you will, by their family. They were, they were treated as if they were old men, as if they were aged and infirm. And from a societal perspective, I guess we would believe that they were aged and infirm and therefore needed to be looked after. So they had loving families that supported them. However, the argument a little bit was that treating them in this way actually facilitated their aging process. So what happened during the research was they were almost taken back in time. So there was a um, a context that was created whereby they were taken to a uh, location which recreated life in the 50s. And so it was when they were younger men. And it was everything from the music that was played to the, the TV shows that were on TV to the magazines that were, were, were lying around. And they were encouraged to talk about the past, uh, talk about the, you know, what life in the fifties was like and really act as if they were living back in the fifties. And what the researchers noticed was they took a number of, of, of a whole variety of, um, 
measures and metrics, including things like finger length or bone length, uh, heart rate, blood pressure, and a whole series of things. And essentially, after several weeks of immersing these guys in this environment where they were acting as if they were tw- they were 20 or so years younger, they were not being coddled anymore, they began to age regress, even to the extent that their hearing improved and the, the kind of the length of their bones began to improve. So this was kind of really interesting stuff. This wasn't, you know, they weren't thinking themselves younger. They were literally immersed in an environment. And it just kind of goes to show really that I suppose it probably triggers some deeper level beliefs, but it, it just goes to show that the environment can have a significant impact on us, but it probably, the environment really is actually just triggering something within us. So it, so that capacity to be different kind of lies there dormant within us. And we we often think that there is a, a natural way of being or there is a, a natural course to life. And that ne- isn't necessarily the case. So I think, you know, the, the, the lesson there, certainly the lesson I learned from that research is my mother is 82. And I... I make sure that I don't treat her like an old lady because because I'm you know I'm kind of quite aware that if I do that if I make decisions for her if I hold her arm you know when she's kind of walking that I'm just going to accelerate the aging process for her whereas if I invite her and encourage her to make decisions for herself to do things for herself and I treat her as if she's a much younger person then I'm hoping that she will continue to be and she's a pretty sprightly 82 year old so that's the that's the, the the story about that about that research I think essentially from the perspective of the people doing the research they were it, it raised more questions than than answers, but it, it was it certainly enabled us to learn something. Yes, because as you was explaining that uh, about your mom as well as the research in the book, what I pondered uh, as I was reading the book was the effects that stressors have on the body, as well as emotional energy Uh, because I have found from personal experience as well as Cal talking to other people there is usually some type of emotional trigger that has caused people to be stressed or not feeling well and uh, I've long believed uh, right or wrong that unresolved issues emotionally Uh, does and can affect us. And I was very interested in your book because it mentions the intelligent body reversing chronic fatigue and pain from the inside out. Now, I know that based upon your experience that you work with individuals and businesses with a focus on developing people from the inside out. So I know you help them to gain a better and deeper understanding of themselves and that you transform those who are stuck, overwhelmed, lost, or stressed. Uh, So how does your approach differ from conventional practices? I think that um, the, the very short, simple answer is that I'm interested in the body, and I think that there probably are 
in my extended answer is this there's some very important points you know you've interestingly mentioned kind of stress and emotion and i think if i can just talk a bit about those two things sure. i think uh, to begin with uh, stress is a very interesting thing people often think that stress is a nervous agitated feeling that they have so people talk about oh, i'm stressed i had a stressful day and as far as I'm concerned, when people talk about that, they're talking about an emotional feeling because they're usually pretty aware of, of a tense or agitated feeling they have in, in their body. Now, what we know is that stress really, certainly when it comes from the, the perspective of health, stress is a lot, is, is very different from that. So it's possible for a, for our body to be in a state of stress without us being aware of it. So that's very, very important. And I think I'm, I'm, I might have mentioned this last time we we spoke because this because this this is so interesting to me uh, a number of years ago I, I read a book which was called healing without prozac and freud by a a doctor over there in the states with you and he was talking about a piece of research that he did where he was looking at the connections between mind and body uh when people were exposed to disturbing stimulus so what he was doing essentially was he was measuring the activity of the brain measuring heart rate and blood pressure and he was showing people disturbing videos and he said he had one lady in who was watching this this film and her heart rate was sky high, her blood pressure was really high and the activity of the kind of emotional part of her brain was kind of going bonkers. And he was thinking, oh, my God, this lady's in a deep state of stress. I better check she's all right. So he went in and, and into the lab and said, are you OK? Shall I turn this film off? Uh, you know, are, are you sure you're, you're all right? And she looked at him with this element of surprise on her face and said, oh, I'm perfectly happy. I'm, you know, I'm fine watching this. There's no problem at all. And for him, and certainly for me, that's, that's very much evidence that our body can be in a state of stress without us being aware of it. And I think that's, so that's one really important point. My, my sense is that, you know, it's when people get ill, it's because their body has been in a prolonged state of stress. The second very important bit about stress is that the, the stress response in the body is, is exactly the same regardless of whether you have a physical injury, uh, an emotional trauma, uh, a, an illness, whether you have, a, a, you know, you're ingesting a lot of toxins, whether you're taking drugs or excessive uh, alcohol, even even excessive exercise or a lot of strenuous exercise will trigger the stress response in the body. And of course, that it, some of these things can go either way because we, you know, a certain amount of stress is useful for us and important for us. But too much stress ultimately uh, kind of results in certainly prolonged stress. So short term stress is good. Long term stress, long term prolonged stress tends to result in the body breaking down. Now, the simple little metaphor I, I use is I talk about a stress bucket. And this is something I, I talk about in the book from, from the, the, the idea that, well, usually there are there is lots of there's lots of, of, of emotional stress that goes undetected, that goes in our stress bucket. But it could be, you know, and last year I had two clients start with me that had fibromyalgia and they said to me that their fibromyalgia was caused by a car accident. And looking at it from my perspective, it was right. Well, their body, their bodies were probably already in a, a reasonable state of stress and so their stress buckets were reasonably full. And because a car accident will trigger the stress response, that was sufficient to kind of send their, their stress bucket into overload. And therefore, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, when that happens, there's a whole series of, of, of events that takes place inside body and brain where the brain through the, 
the HPA axis or the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis goes into overdrive, which is basically a bunch of, of, of nerves and whatnot around the, the midbrain or the emotional brain. So, so that, that the midbrain becomes overactive. That results in irregularities within the autonomic nervous system, the endocrine system and the, and the immune system. And that then is what results in symptoms of one sort or another. And because the systems are out of whack, are dis, uh, d- dysfunctional, this is why people experience such a, a diverse array of symptoms. So my belief is that there's not a, there's not a primary, it's not a single primary cause to any chronic health challenge. There are probably almost like a combination lock. There are a, a number of causes which, as I say, I, I try to simplify in, 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 into a this metaphorical idea of this stress bucket. We see lots of things going in our stress bucket. And the, the most, the, the, obviously when I'm working with my clients, the thing that I'm focusing on predominantly is emotional stress because that is the hardest thing for an individual to deal with. Obviously, if you have a car accident, well, that's a one-off. If you've had a, you know, a bad case of flu, which has triggered your body into the stress response, that's, that's a one-off. If you, if you're ingesting lots of toxins, well, again, that's something that it's a reasonably straightforward fix or if you're over exercising which occasionally people do again it's a reasonably straightforward fix but when it comes to emotional stress our emotion our emotion can remain unconscious and can and can be blocked and out of balance without us being aware of it so my focus is that emotional stress. I, I do i do look at people's diet and their exercise and what you know i do take that holistic approach and i work with people but the 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 most difficult part for an individual to work on by themselves um and you know is that that uh emotional stress bit but i i just just that extended, you know, kind of perspective on stress. I think it's really important that we that we entertain that that idea because it's when we can see that stress and emotion affects all of the body and all of the brain, we can begin to realise that actually this whole mind body thing is 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 really true. You know, a thing that I've 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 I've, I've encountered over the last 15 years of doing this work is people will often say to me, oh, "Yeah, but I've got a physical." condition i've got a physical illness Mm -hmm. how can you and you're talking about emotion and that's all in the mind so how can it possibly be you know how can you possibly help me and i have to explain that right well emotion is a complex physiological process it it affects the majority of your organs and it affects most of your brain and your brain and your body are connected and when it comes to the production of emotion in the body what what science tells us is that we have neurons in our heart so it's like we have a mini brain in our heart we have neurons in our in our gut so it's like a mini brain in our gut and you know this is thus why if you have a gut feeling on something it it is it the flow of intelligent activity in your gut so we have neurons and receptors for neurons throughout the body and I think, you know, the kind of issue is it was once thought that there were only neurons and receptors for neurons in the brain. Therefore, intelligent activity was exclusively something, you know, that took place in the brain. And now what we what we know is that, well, actually, the same neurons, the same receptors, the same informational flow takes place throughout the body. So this is, you know, we really need to embrace this whole 
uh, mind body kind of notion where there is no separation there is no split yes it can be the case that obviously if a person has a case of flu there's there's an external pathogen that has entered their system but it's also the case that the whether a person actually exhibits the symptoms of flu whether the you know the flu virus takes hold and the length of time it it, mm-hmm. it stays with the person is going to be impacted by the the extent to which that person's body is in a state of stress so emotion and and emotional stress has an impact on pretty much everything really every type of health challenge in some it plays it plays a causative role so i think in in many of the medically unexplained uh chronic fatigue and pain type uh, uh, symptoms and conditions and the uh, irritable bowel and things like that. I think that emotion is plays is 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 a primary cause. But as I say, even with like coughs, colds, viruses, emotion is is playing its role as to whether you get it and how long you have it. So you know, there's some. I think those are really important things, and that's you know for people to kind of really uh, look at. I agree. Now, question yeah. for you. Uh, and my apologies for interrupting you, but what you just said, I find extremely interesting because you said one thing that stood out for me, and that was that you can be in a state of prolonged stress and not be aware of it. And the other thing I wanted to do is uh, let everybody know what our listener line number is. So if you want to join Kyle Davies and I on the air, our listener line number is one eight 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 four six three six seven four eight. This is a really interesting conversation. So how how can you be in a state of prolonged stress and not know it? Shouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you feel it? Um I, I guess that's, that's an interesting thing. <laughs> I guess just like that lady in that experiment, I think that uh, we are, we live in a culture which is very thinking orientated and we are encouraged to, you know, always be on, you know, we, yes. we, I think in, in many instances we're, Lots of people are almost in a trance-like state. Uh, they're doing, they're washing dishes while they're thinking about picking up the kids and the thing they have to do for work. And, you know, they're thinking about the next six things that they have to do. So here's the thing is that we're not, we're not really stuck in the, in the forest being chased by bears anymore. And that's, that's when you have, that's the short-term stressor. So, you know, you see the bear, your body mobilizes, the stress response is triggered. You run away and you either get eaten by the bear or you climb up a tree or whatever and you escape. The threat is gone, the perceived threat, because it's all about a perceived threat. The perceived threat is gone and the body then goes back to normal functioning. What we have in modern life, again, it's all about perceived threats. It's, you know, we, we don't want to be, or I don't like the idea of blaming outside life because it's all because our experience all emerges within us. But what we have is a lot of, low level perceived stresses so that deadline at work the mm-hmm. you know the having to pick the kids up on time the am i going to make it to the store before the store closes these these kind of daily ongoing low level stresses that are thrown at us constantly i think or perceived stresses are what what keep us locked in that keep the body locked in that stress response and Human beings 
generally we notice we notice through difference so all of our senses work through the perception of difference and if something is constant we tend to tune out to it um so if that makes sense yes you know our ears our eyes everything you know you know because even our eyeballs even when we we think we're looking staring straight at something our eyeballs are constantly jiggling and they need to jiggle because if they remained perfectly still whatever was in front of us would kind of disappear because we need the difference so i think that's the reason is that we there's there are all of these you know a multitude of low level low grade perceived stresses and because we are we are kind of operating in this kind of trance-like state we're stuck in our head we're thinking 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 we've lost touch i believe with our emotional selves to a certain extent with our physical bodies to our spiritual selves i think because we kind of lost touch a bit we it's very very easy to tune out so I think it's much easier to tune out than you'd actually think. You you know, it's I think it's a, it's a fair question. You'd think really that, that we ought to be able to pick up yes. on everything that, that that goes on, but unfortunately, I think the way that I, I think the way that you know the way society works, our culture. If we look back over a hundred, two hundred years, you know, our our, the, our culture and society has kind of evolved so quickly. It's evolved far quicker than we have evolved as human beings, even though science tells us that human beings are evolving kind of at a slightly exponential rate. But certainly we've evolved much more in the last 5000 years than we did in the, the previous kind of 50,000 before then. But still, there's still the case that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, we lived in small tribes, you know, in, in, in forests and whatnot. And we, you know, life was reasonably simple and straightforward. And all of a sudden, the last kind of 100 years, We've gone from living in a in a small tribe where we probably knew about a hundred or a hundred and fifty people, through to modern life as we have it as 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 we know it now. And there's an argument to say that even though we are we're very good at adapting, I think that you know technology and society has kind of evolved a little bit quicker than us. And if we're not careful it can have a damaging effect on us. Now, I'm not saying that anything that in terms of technology and society is bad, but what I am saying is it has, it, there is the potential that for us to lose connection with ourselves. And I think that if, you know, a, a lot of my work really is about trying to reconnect people with themselves, get them feeling again, get them in touch with what I call their kind of true self, the kind of the core wisdom uh, within them. Because when when they, you know, when people are are connected to themselves, I think they can operate in in the world. But it's it is easy. I think we live in a society where it's easy to get lost. It's easy to place your attention on everything outside of yourself or get stuck in your head, and therefore you you lose touch with how you really feel, and that's when problems ensue. That's true. Now your bio says you meld the scientific with the metaphysical. So what what does that mean? Oh, another good question. I. I I'm a spiritual person, I suppose, and I see that, you know, I work with people that are very spiritual and I work with people that are not spiritual at all. So my sense of it is that um, I think that I like to to end. I think it's easier if we can entertain the idea that um, there's probably more to me than I can see in the mirror. And 
there is I, I believe that there, there is a there's an energy or there is a consciousness that that flows through me so there's almost an expanded sense of me which is a little bit more than the physical version of me so that's one i suppose one element of where science and spirituality could meet you know if i'm to um draw on quantum theory and, and probably you know to the uh uh to the anger of quantum theorists you know there are views that suggest that one everything is everything that we know in the in the known universe is holographic and there's a, there's a, there's other ideas that suggesting well everything is connected you know it's one undulating flowing consciousness and we're just we are expressions of that consciousness now in terms of okay that's all, all well and nice well how does that play out in life a, you know, a, an interesting way of looking at life is that life is happening for me rather than life is happening to me, and which is sort of a bit of a spiritual notion. The idea that, well, maybe that, you know, I'm I, we're on this planet to have experiences, you could say learn lessons, but certainly to have experiences. And my my experience of it in, in working with people is that. People seem to history seems to repeat itself in people's lives almost until a lesson is learned. So the same sorts of things, the same situations, the same people, the same problems seem to crop up in people's lives. And the common denominator is, is usually them. Uh, and this, again, is why a lot of my work is about empowerment rather than trying to get people to just change their life circumstances. I think when people do that, they they take themselves to a different set of circumstances and very often the same problems emerge. So when we can be a little bit more metaphysical or spiritual about it, we can see, well, there's probably an opportunity in this for me. And it may be that, you know, this kind of the human part of me can't figure out exactly what that is right now. But if I'm open to that idea, it also helps me remove judgment. I think a lot of the time we, we can slip into judgment and we can say, oh, my boss is doing this to me or my partner does that or my children are always doing this or my sister's always doing that. And it's very easy for us to blame life or the government's doing this or teachers are doing that. And I think when we get into judgment and blame, again, that tends to increase our own suffering. It disempowers us. Whereas where we, if we can look at, right, well, my, my experience, my, my emotional experience, my feeling experience, that emerges from inside of me, within me. And rather than looking at blaming anybody else, if I can take responsibility for myself, it means that I have the capacity to change my own experience because there's no in, there's no inherent meaning out there in life. The meaning that occurs in life arises from the, the imprint of meaning that we, we put upon something. So a person's experience of life, be it pleasant or unpleasant, is all down to their feeling experience, which emerges within them. It's not that it's necessarily triggered by outside events. I mean, we've all had experiences whereby, you know, we've we felt something one evening and we've gone to bed and we've we've woken up in the morning and felt a bit different about it and nothing in life has changed but something has reset itself within us and we have a different take on it we have different perception we have different feeling about it so i think that when we can begin to understand that much of our feeling experience arises within us and, you know, that's not to, you know, again, going back to the, what we talked about right at the start, there is the issue that we are influenced 
by the energy of the environment. We can't, we're not going to extricate ourselves from the environment or from its influence. But by recognizing what it's triggering something in me or it's, it's, it's leading to something arising within me, it means I can place my attention on me. So I, I think that's a deeply spiritual notion. When I take responsibility for myself, I see that life is an opportunity that I'm here to have experience. It's, I think those are, you know, those are reasonably universally palatable notions, if that makes sense. So it's not, it doesn't have to be, you know, I have some spiritual ideas and, pers- and sort of uh, perceptions, which may be quite different from lots of other people. And we've all got our own different views. And my spiritual perspectives and beliefs, they don't have to come into my work. But I think some of the, the more straightforward ideas that I've just been talking about, I think they're reasonably you know they're reasonably easy to kind of take on board and to and to to move along with now question for you so you mentioned about you know a- accountability and what came to my mind for that is is something bad did happen to someone you know that that is their reality you know that is their perception because that's something that they live with every day so emotionally is kind of hard sometimes, depending upon what the circumstance is, to necessarily let it go. So someone that's, for example, that's coming to you in your practice for the first time, how do you, um, how do you peel back those layers? You know, just like an onion, how do you peel back those layers to connect with that emotional piece? Because I have met a lot of people who have, a lot of emotional baggage and I know myself there are some emotional things that um, I'm still dealing with and there are some struggles that you know it's been easier to deal with as compared to others uh, it's a really really big question that isn't it yes. and it probably depends <laughs> it probably depends upon who I'm working with so you know, I, I work with people with chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, but I also work with people in a coaching setting, like life coaching or executive coaching in business. So it would depend on what the person is after. If I'm working, for example, with somebody with fibromyalgia or, or chronic fatigue, to begin with, I'm looking at uh, symptoms as being a purposeful messenger. And that may sound a bit uh, a bit crazy, but it's the idea that our body tr- our body is – it's trying to help us. And when our body sends us a symptom, rather than us trying to just get rid of it and thinking, oh, my God, this is awful. I've got to, you know, there's something wrong. It, I think it's a much more useful way of believing that actually my body here is trying to get my attention. It's trying to let me know that something is out of balance. Now, from my perspective, I'm looking at that as emotion. I'm looking at the fact that it's possible, as we know, for us to block our emotions so that we don't feel it anymore. And when that happens, the it's as if our body turns up the volume and begins to send symptoms. It's almost like it's saying, well, I'm trying to send you emotion. I'm trying to get your attention by sending you emotion. But as you don't seem to be hearing that, I'm going to shout at you a bit louder. So I'm going to send you some symptoms. So that's the, the so that's where I would begin. It would be working with somebody with symptoms. It's it's just making the assumption that the symptoms are 
a, a sign that the body is, is stuck in the in the stress response, but that underneath those symptoms are emotions, and it's it, that's the beginning of peeling back the layers. From there, everybody has their patterns. So as as I begin to look at how how a person engages with life, the, the sorts of things that they do. I begin to get an understanding of what, you know, the, I get a picture of when symptoms are arising, when emotions are arising. And this is my perspective on what emotions are. So if we experience some, um, what you know, uncomfortable emotions, which we could say are anger, guilt, fear, you know, those sort of boredom, I would say those uncomfortable emotions are our intelligent body's way of letting us know that we are beginning to deviate or move away from our true self. Now, what I mean by that is either this, either it's giving us a heads up that we, that we need to take some action to act in alignment with who we really are, or our authentic self, our true self, or it's telling us there's something that we believe. There's a belief we have about us, you know, that we have about ourselves that is not really in alignment with our with our true self and the true self bit is is a spiritual bit to a certain extent you could look at it as just a wisdom within you you could look at it as your soul you know you could look at it as just a consciousness that flows through you but i look at uncomfortable yes, emotion as being an indicator that we are beginning to deviate either behaviorally or through our beliefs and values about ourselves we are beginning to deviate from the essence of our of who we really are our, our true self so it's looking at I, I i look at how people interact really with life today it's the idea that everything is now and even if even if a person had experiences many many years ago Things will be showing up today in their experiences today, either in the way they are, you know, they are interacting with life, where they're talking to people, the way they are, you know, the way they feel about themselves. But what, you know, the way a person shows up in life today is, is essentially what I work with, because that's a reflection of how they feel about themselves and how they feel about life. Uh, and it's, you know, the changes I make are with, with people are in respect to how they are now. So I don't spend a huge amount of time going back into people's pasts. Often people want to talk a bit about their past and, and the, the emotional experiences that they've had. But my work is not about trying to unblock emotion from the past. It's about unblocking emotion in the present. Because if emotion has been blocked in the past, the chances are the pattern is still in the pattern is still evident and the same types of emotions are being blocked in the present what often happens in my experience of it is that memories if, if emotion is if i'm blocking some emotion in relation to something today you know if i'm at work if i'm at the office and bob on the off on the on the desk next to me uh kind of steals my pens and i don't say anything to bob i pretend everything's all right and i laugh it off but actually you know, there's anger simmering inside because I, I really want to tell Bob to go to the stationery cab you know, uh, uh, cabinet himself and get his own pens, but I don't. <laughs> you know, if that happens, there's every chance that uh, if I if I do that over a prolonged period of time and I let that happen, and other people start taking pens and you know things off my desk and paper and you know all these sorts of things. And I, I shovel the, the frustration and anger down. There's every chance that on my drive home from work, I'll have memories flash into my mind of 
things that happened when I was a kid of having my sweets t- taken off me, my, my candy taken off me in the schoolyard. And of course, if I, what I would say is, if I was if I was suffering from a, a health challenge, it could be that on my drive home I begin to I begin to develop a you know a migraine or a headache or some other pain or some fatigue. So if I don't allow myself to pay attention to that emotion, and I, I do recognise that's a very it's a you know it's a light-hearted simple example, but it's there's an argument to say that life is made up of lots of little examples like that. Life is made of lots of little moments when we are are engaged in an activity or we're talking to a person or something's happening. And it's in those moments where we have an opportunity to either be true to ourselves or not. One of the difficulties, and this is, I guess, is this is sort of inherent within your question, is that when people get into a pattern of, uh, blocking emotion, the, 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 the person that they, they are, who I would say is not really them, is who they think they are. So that can be, that can be the challenge. So it could be that, you know, if I'm that guy in, 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 in that office and everybody's stealing stuff off my desk or taking stuff off my desk and I'm just laughing it off, I could believe that I'm just not, I'm not an angry man. You know, I'm not an angry person. I'm quite happy with them taking stuff off my desk. But actually the real me is not happy about that at all, but I'm not, I'm denying my true self. I can relate and, to that. Absolutely. You, oh my goodness. Mm. <laughs> it, it, it's it's i mean i had i had this sort of very thing last week I, I was running a workshop here in my my hometown and uh there was a chap there and he was he was smiling and he was because i was asking uh i was asking the workshop uh participants to to write a list of 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 what they believed were sources of anger in their life or triggers for anger or things they, they believe may cause anger for them. And this, this one chap was just kind of smiled and he said, I'm just not an angry person. And I said to him, well, it's not about being an angry person. It's the fact that the emotion of anger is likely to come and visit you from time to time. And that's okay. You don't have to attach it to who you are, but it is important that you allow yourself to recognize it because all it's doing you a favor. All it's doing is it, it, it's giving you an opportunity to act in alignment with who you really are. So for the guy in, in, in that office, if, if he was, genuinely perfectly okay with people taking stuff off his desk then that's absolutely fine and of course there may be days when he's he is okay with that but there may be days and it may be every time that actually there's a little bit of anger because he doesn't really want people taking stuff off his desk and as i say it's a simple straightforward example but it's it's it all boils down to that denial of self when we don't allow ourselves to act in alignment with who we really are our body initially sends emotions in the form of angers and frustrations and fears and guilt and you know to let us know that we're not really being true to ourselves and if we if we fail to pick up on that that those emotions then the body begins to send symptoms and i think this comes to then a very very important point is that I think intuitively people kind of know that. But what happens is that when the, the body will increase, will, it will uh, turn up the volume or increase the intensity of the messenger that it sends to get our attention. And what that essentially means is that the body will send more intense or more varied or more severe symptoms. That's true. But the me- 
but the message could be exactly the same. And what most, in my experience, what almost everybody thinks is that if my symptoms are severe, then it must mean that the solution is needs to be massive. I'm either going to need, you know, either needs a rocket science answer to this, or I've got to completely change my life. Whereas my experience of it is that is not the case. It's if we can have that understanding that the body will increase the intensity, the volume of the symptoms that it sends, but the the underlying message is very often the same. And the, the little example I often say to my clients is it's like hunger. Hunger comes and goes in, in cycles. But, you know, if you don't eat for five days, you, you're unlikely to just experience a mild rumbling sensation in your stomach like you would have done on day one. You're probably, you know, this, and I actually don't know what the symptoms of hunger after five days are, but there's, there's a, you know, there's, the symptoms are likely to be more severe, but the message is still the same that you just you need to go and eat something. So it's exactly the same with with um, when we experience emotion or emotional stress. Now, Carol, the, the, in your yep. book, you state over time, if the stress response remains switched on, these chemical changes can cause structural damage. Cortisol can lead to changes in the endothelium where changes occur within the lining of the blood vessels, which can lead to arteriosclerosis. And um, when you said, um, I don't remember the exact word, but what I got from everything that you just shared with us is that to thy own self be true. Absolutely. And that, 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 that's it in a nutshell, isn't yes, it really? It is. And you know where I think this really where we can really benefit from better under understanding ourselves and dealing with this is also in our business and the workforce. Because think about the number of employees. So when you mention Bob, let's say you have Susan in the workforce where Susan is being bullied. Okay. Susan don't like being bullied. Susan um, is remaining quiet and she's simmering and stewing inside. She has a lot of anger. Because she's frustrated because she cannot seem to get the bullying to stop, you know, so it keeps going on and on. But then in the workforce, Susan's health starts to suffer because we know that health is a major issue. But at the same time, Susan's um, anger begins to affect her work performance. You know, she's she's boiling with anger. She doesn't like what's happening to her. And at the same time. All this is going on and it's hard for her to be true to herself because her first inclination may be to say to the person or the people who are bullying her, just use it as an example, cut it out. I'm sick and tired of this. I'm not going to deal with this anymore. But sometimes it may be hard to be true to yourself when you are not self-employed, if you know what I mean. You know, it, it all depends upon how you can handle that situation, if that makes sense, what I'm saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think that, um, it's interesting. It, it's it, often, I, I don't think bullying is probably talked about maybe as in, the, in the workplace as much as it should. I think it, it, it almost gets lost a bit. I, over here, I know that the, uh, and it's probably the same over there as well. They talk about the three biggest causes of stress in the workplace as being organizational culture 
overload and poor management skills. And my guess is that a combination of organizational culture and poor management skills is is, they're trying to cater for bullying in those instances. But I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. This it's when, when uh, Susan can begin to, to make that point when can she, she can be, you know, unto thy own self be true. Uh, or the, you know, the hard thing with that actually is, is, as I was saying earlier, is that sometimes we don't know who we, who we really are. And we think that we That's can true. often be, you know, <laughs> we can often get caught up in believing we're more of, who we're not rather than who we are. And that's, I suppose, one of the things that I do with people is, is, is dig in to find who they really are because I think people have lost who they really are. And I think that's why that statement is absolutely true, but it's very difficult to, to, to attain. But yeah, I think this, you know, the, the workplace, I think is a, is a, is a, you know, it is the place where a lot of these things start. And it can be that, um, our emotional stress is arises as a result of our interactions in the workplace, bullying being a classic example. But it, it can also be that uh, the impact the impact on of of you know of emotional stress on on our on our working life and our performance at work can arise outside of work. And I think that employers probably need to begin to be aware of that because I know over here there's there's a tendency to historically there's been this 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 tendency to think about oh yeah but it's I'm I'm only interested in what goes on in the workplace workplace anxiety workplace uh, depression anything workplace bullying whereas really a, a, a person at work is a whole person and what goes on in their life is going to affect their 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 performance at work so it is it's kind of important that we look at the 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 whole person i i've 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 waffled a, a bit there and i think i might have lost what your question was um i think uh, i don't think you really waffle i think you really uh, addressed it mainly my question and pretty much i would just say comment is that sometimes we we well, quite frequently, we want to be true to ourselves, but depending upon the environment in which we find ourselves in, sometimes yeah. society or culture or whatever it may be, the workforce prevents us from truly being ourselves. And so that to me, that's another source of stressor. Yeah, I, I suppose my my sense is that uh, and, and my idealistic belief is that there, there is, there's a feeling and there's a consciousness and there's a flow that is our true self. And there's not a single behavior though, which is a manifestation of that. So I, I believe that we can, you know, there's, we, I think we have the potential because I don't think, I don't think we want to limit ourselves with who we are. I think, I, I, I think people too often build a cage around themselves and define themselves too narrowly. I think it's part of the kind of ego that does that. We look back at who we've been, we project that out into, you know, in, into the future, who we're going to be. But I, I think there are many aspects to us. And I certainly think behaviorally, I think we have the capacity to behave and act in a variety of ways. And that's all good as long as it's connected to this true self part of us. So I would, I'm, I'm in favor of this idealistic notion that it's, it's, it needs to be possible for me to be true to myself. Even if I have to go through a process of trial and error to find 
uh, an appropriate behavior for a particular context. I think people often think that there's there's only one thing that they can do and they can either do it or not do it. I'm much more in favor of saying, let's find a way. Let's let's be behaviorally flexible because, you know, as I say, a number of different ways of doing something or not doing something can all be connected to my to my true self. If conversely that it's it feels almost, you know, as a as a person, if your true self feels completely stifled in a particular environment, then it may be that, you know, that you need to shift yourself out of that 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 environment. But I've my preference is to always see that as a last resort, really. And, you know, sometimes we need to use that last resort. But, uh, you know, I suppose my feeling again is that. Ideally, we need to put ourselves first. We need to put our health and our well-being first. And if we have a sense that, well, I, it doesn't seem like I'm able to do something, then it's uh, I would always rather than blame the context, bring it back to me and say, OK, let me let's get creative here. Let's let's look at what I really want. What is it? You know, what what what, I, what do I want to experience? What, what what do I want to happen? How can I make that happen? How can I how can I be creative in my behavior, in my output? to to try to facilitate the the sort of outcome that feels right for me. That's a very good point because I was sharing with someone the other day about putting themselves first, putting themselves on their own to-do list. So the other question I have for you, Kyle, is what can people do to experience better health, you know, to have more fulfilling relationships? I think... You know, just going along the lines of what we've been talking about, you know, for the whole show, the most important thing is to learn to allow everything that you feel. Every, you know, I think too frequently we we live on the outside. And this is the kind of idea from me when I suggest, you know, it's like healing from the inside out. It's that we need to begin by allowing everything that we feel. We need to be true to ourselves. And there's a deeper, there's a deeper sense of self, which we all kind of know. It's that intuitive part of us, that inner knowing that the bit that gives us flashes of insight and wisdom, those sorts of things. And that's the part of us that we want to be true to. Uh, but everything that we feel, everything that a person feels is okay. And that is the starting point. We very often resist and reject our feelings. We look to normalize our feelings because, because our emotional feelings, when they're triggered in, in body, in, in our body, you know, we talked about the heart and the gut. Yes. It leads to an increase in activity in the thinking centers of the brain. And what often happens is that when emotion is, is triggered or is, pre, is presented, emerges, we tend to begin thinking. And often the thinking is along the lines of uh, analyzing or churning or ruminating or trying to find meaning in what's in, in what we're feeling or the context or trying to figure it out. It's along the line, you know, it's somewhere, sub, goes somewhere towards trying to resolve or solve the emotion. And my perspective is we don't need to solve our emotion. Our emotion is never a problem. Our emotion is just a subtle tap on the shoulder inviting us to be authentic in that moment, to act in alignment with our true self. And if we can allow ourselves to believe that, if we can allow ourselves to believe that, you know what, what I feel is not a problem. What I, you know, I can allow myself, you know, and what I feel today may be different from what I feel next week um, or, or tomorrow or even in five minutes. 
you know, our emotion does flow. Our feelings do flow if we let them flow. They don't need to be fixed. It may be that they're guiding us to take some action. It may be that we just need to feel them. But as I say, the starting point to better health is to is to reconnect with the body, to get spend more time in the present moment in the body, allowing everything you feel to be okay and having entertaining that simple principle that what I feel is not a problem. I don't have to solve what I feel. Wow, that was very powerful. In fact, I jotted those down, uh, some takeaways. Um, act in alignment with our true selves. Don't try to fix our emotions and learn to allow everything we feel because oftentimes people get to the point they shut down. They no longer want to feel anything. Absolutely. It's very common. Yes, it's, it's, it's very, very common. Now, Cal, for, um, you're still in the UK, correct? I'm in the UK. I have a colleague, Rebecca Metro, who is based in Washington, D.C. Uh, I, I work via Skype as well. I know Rebecca works via, via Skype. So you can find us on the website energyflowcoaching.com. Uh, and we are we are available to, you know, as, as I say, I, I work with individuals and businesses. Um, and, I, you know, I, so I do one to one coaching. I, I give workshops. I go in and give talks and these sorts of things. So sorry, I, I preempted your next question. There, didn't oh, I? no, not no, not at all. Um, also tell everyone ab- uh, about your book. I'm going to actually purchase two more copies of the book. It's called the intelligent body because um it was really thought-provoking for me when i was going through it so tell everyone how they can uh, get a copy of that well it's it's available it should be available all good retailers i think the cheapest uh cheapest places are probably barnes and noble and amazon at the moment but i'm pretty sure that it's available in most good retailers the publisher is ww norton and co that are based in new york and yeah it's it's even though it says reversing uh, chronic fatigue and pain from the inside out, the principles are really all about h- how to improve your health and well-being, how to get clarity of mind, how to get peace of mind, how to lead a kind of richer, deeper, more fulfilling life. And, you know, but yeah, it is it is a little bit more targeted at those with with uh, symptoms. But it's, it's in two parts. So the first part is offers some theory as to what stress is all about, what emotion is all about, you know, who we are, you know, who we are as human beings, how we function as, as human beings. And then part two offers uh, some exercises and kind of guides people through uh, a process of getting back in, get, you know, getting back in touch with themselves in order that they can have a, a you know, a, a, a happier, healthier experience of life. Thank you, Cal, for being on the pain-free zone. I would also like to inv- invite you back in the near future because uh, I really would like to get into the nitty gritty about the metaphysical as well as the connection between health and spirituality. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure being here. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. And the one thing, uh, I don't think you gave everyone your uh, your website address, did you? I, yeah, it's uh, uh, energyflowcoaching.com. Okay, energyflowcoaching.com. Cal, thank you for joining me on air today. It was great to reconnect with you, and I look forward to having you again on the Pain-Free Zone. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, and you. Hi, everyone. You've been listening to the Pain-Free Zone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards, and on today's show, 
We've been talking to Cal Davies. He is a chartered psychologist in the UK. And today's talk is all, has been all about the intelligent body. That is the name of his book. And I highly recommend that you go out and purchase it today. Is dealing the first part as he mentioned with theory, but it gets into the stressors as well as stress, as well as he teaches you and educates you on how to act in alignment with our true self so that you can just be real with you. So thank you for tuning in today to the pain free zone. I hope you have a lovely day. Thank you.